We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And we're here tonight to talk about something intelligent, Chris. Yeah, the RAS score. Very intelligent, way beyond <laughs> way beyond your IQ. <laughs> we're here to talk about my Brandon Bean RAS study and the Bills 2021 NFL draft. We, the draft's completed. We did our recap with Nate Geary, and all of this, all of this stuff has been fun. But I think that there's more nuance here than the average Bills fan realizes. I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but I've gotten really sick of Bills fans complaining on social media about this draft class because there's some undercurrents here that maybe you don't realize if you're the lay fan looking at this through just scouting reports and the mainstream media scouting grades. It takes a little bit of understanding about things like athletic profiles, things like how how certain physical traits play into a position that a coaching staff wants or a GM wants, or how they view certain players based on specific traits and others that they think they can improve over time relate to the team in the future, not even just in the immediacy following a draft. I feel like too many fans get caught in their feelings about it. But, Chris, that's human nature, right? Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's Sunday Drew and Tuesday Drew. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like either. (laughs) Well, we're lucky enough tonight to be able to sit down. I want to take a look at this class because there is a lot to unpack and there's some lessons to walk away from this with. And I think relative athletic score is a really smart way to go about organizing all of these thoughts. And to help us unpack them, we have the man behind the numbers. And so as we dive into this a little bit, I just want to warn everybody listening that this might be the most intelligent you ever hear me sound about the topic of football. Don't get used to it. It's not going to happen that often. <laughs> this isn't this isn't me turning over a new leaf. It's just that when you have a conversation with a strong football mind and someone who's into analytics and things like that, you feel like you need to brush up for that sort of conversation. And I'm excited to have it with uh, Mr. Kentley Platty. How are you doing this evening, sir? Fantastic, man. Glad you guys are having me. No, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule for us. Uh, for those of you living under a rock, Kentley Platty, creator of the relative athletic score, what I think to be one of the more unique metrics and systems of analysis out there. Analytics director for Pro Football Network, and I don't know if you're catching on yet by his resume, but he's one of those quote-unquote smart people we joke about all the time when we talk about football. Draft analyst, content creator, and a long-suffering Detroit Lions fan. So if anybody can kind of understand where Buffalo, the, the vibe around Buffalo now, 
is something that he's aspiring to from his own team. It's Kent. You have to be pretty pumped about what the Lions accomplished this past weekend, right? Yeah, I, I did not come into the draft thinking that I was going to be excited about the guys that they took, and they they pretty much knocked it out of the park. I loved almost every pick. You know, if, if, if your biggest complaint is they took a running back with their last pick, then you had a pretty good draft. Oh, for sure, 100%. And, and for those of you, I know you can't hear it. This is a visual thing. Kent is the owner of one of the finest mustaches. I mean, we were talking about this right before we started recording. The man puts, I mean, Ty B from Trainwreck. I mean, that guy looks like Yosemite Sam. He puts Ty to shame. I mean, this is something that if you guys get a chance, I want you to go check out his stash and just picture that as we're having this conversation. I think, Chris, does it almost gives him a little more gravitas when you see it? Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not only the mustache, the hat also works with the mustache. They go hand in hand. I, just looking at it, I mean, he's he's a monocle away from being a legitimate professor of football, and I love every second of it. So with <laughs> Trying to find a good monocle that, that I can use. <laughs> so with that said, I'm going to crack a beer, and we're going to get into this conversation because we're talking about relative athletic score as it pertains to the Buffalo Bills draft and some of the conclusions I've kind of drawn from it. And I think the place that if you're talking RAS score and the Buffalo Bills in 2021 – you have to start with what is the crown jewel here. Offensive tackle Spencer Brown. I mean, say what you want about Brown from a technical standpoint, from how raw he might be, what his projection might be in terms of his techniques and everything else. If Rass scores were stake, then Spencer Brown would be the number 10 Wagyu ribeye that I have to talk myself out of buying every time I'm at the butcher shop. He's just a chef's kiss of a prospect in that regard. How many other tackles have attained a perfect 10 score? Only a, a small handful in, in the history of the NFL. Everybody from 1987 that was the best at their position got a 10, uh, just because it was the first year of the metric, and there's always got to be at least one 10. Uh, and then every every couple of years, it started to get less and less. The last one to hold it was Taylor Lewan, just to tell you how long it's been since somebody actually took that top spot. So it's not something that gets switched around too often. One of the things that I think is unique about because Spencer Lyme, mean, we talked about Spencer Brown, we talked about it with Nate Geary in our recap uh, yesterday. When when you look at him as a prospect, one of the things that you see, and one of the things that made him such a dynamic athlete and a standout at the Senior Bowl, was this concept that for a man his size. He has some fluidity to him that I really think is surprising. I mean, we went a little bit deeper in depth with Nate on it, but overall, he's capable of doing some things physically that you wouldn't expect from a man that size. And I think it really does kind of come through when you, and it's athletic testing, but it comes through, I think, when you look at what he is. I mean, the three things that I, I think the point that I made about the three cone drill. That his Spencer Brown at 311 pounds, six foot eight. His three cone drill was just three tenths of a second slower than a wide receiver Elijah Moore. He uh, just one tenth of a second slower than Giants wide receiver Kadarius Tony, and tied with uh, FSU cornerback and every Bills fan's crush, cornerback Asante Samuel. That's a cornerback who has <laughs> the same three cone. Yeah, it's funny you mention a corner because it actually would have been a 60th percentile cone time for a cornerback. And you're talking about a guy that's 6'8", 3'11". <laughs> so when you look at it in that regard and you look at him, because like I'm, I'm going to the website right now, uh, relativeathleticscores.com. When you look at his profile, from your perspective, when you see just the numbers, it speaks to a level of athleticism in terms of foot speed, uh, agility to kind of move. I mean... How, that just kind of screams offensive tackle. I know I saw a lot of things from Bills fans. Well, we could slide him inside a guard if we... His athletic profile, just based on the testing numbers and his RAS scores, seems to stand out as a tackle, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and it's every metric, too. It's not just the, the one or two things. You know, his, his weight was just a little bit above average for a tackle, but that's totally fine. Most tackles nowadays are right about that size. Um, it's above average or around average because we've had so many huge, monstrous 340, 350-pound guys in the last 35 years. Um, but other than that, I mean, if you want a guy that's tall, he's one of the tallest in the NFL now. 
Um, he has long arms, but also had a really strong bench, which are two things that don't usually go together. Usually if you have long arms, you just have a poor bench. That's physics. Um, you know, he has great explosion drills, great speed drills, one of the best, some of the best athletic or agility testing you're ever going to find from a tackle. And I have started looking into it, but I'm not sure we've ever had an offensive lineman who's any, had anywhere near the agility drills that he had um, as both the shuttle and the cone. Um, a sub-seven cone is insane for an offensive lineman. And if you get a 4-4 shuttle, anything under 4-5 is that, that, that special zone you want to get for offensive tackles where you find those the best hits in that area are when they're sub-4-5. And he had a 4-4. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Now, Chris, is the layperson hearing us talk about this who hasn't really dug into the numbers and doesn't really think about football on that level? When we're talking about this, that suddenly makes Spencer Brown seem like a better prospect than maybe he got a little bit of credit for so far this week. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I mean, getting we got a perfect ten rest, like mind blown for me, the lay fan, somebody that you're like, that wait can, a minute, can be that athletic at that height and, that, and at that weight. I mean, I think one of the comments that was made about him that was interesting too, and I, I think that three cone time would also plays into that a little bit. This concept, I heard it on one of his scouting videos from uh, or a Senior Bowl recap, and there was a scout who was talking about this. And he said that at the Senior Bowl, it was interesting because when he lined up, when he squatted down to get into the formation, you if you were watching from the bleachers and you didn't specifically know which one was Spencer Brown, you couldn't tell because he could his hip flexibility, his knee flexibility, he could get down into such a low stance. I mean, typically a guy with his size would lose a lot because smaller defensive linemen are going to get on. He's got a high center of gravity. His flexibility to do that is rare. And I think it shows in these athletic testing numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, like you mentioned, he, he sits a lot lower in his stance than guys who are his height usually do. Guys that are 6'8 that play offensive tackle, that's not usually a positive. I mean, it, it sounds like a positive to somebody who's never watched football because big, big is good, right? And actually, Raz works that way because the size drills are meant to weight the other scores. Um, but when you're too tall at offensive tackle, it can lead to back problems. It can lead to, to knee problems. And a lot of that has to do with how they have to get into their stance and how they attack the guys that they're across from. Spencer Brown has such a low center of gravity when he's in his stance. For a guy his size, it's, it's not common at all. And I can't even think of a good example of a player that fit that type of archetype that was anywhere near his size. I mean, he's just a very rare, like you can't get a rare specimen. Now, I want Bills fans to remember that because we're going to circle back to that idea later on in this podcast. But I want to talk about another prospect here now. Greg Rousseau and how this guy is, and this is one of these things when I tell people, like, because people go, oh, well, rat, rat score, it's just another number. This is where I point people to the importance of combining RAS analysis with what you're hearing and what you're reading on scouting reports. Because sometimes what you're going to find is that these things bear out across the board. Now, first of all, what did you think pre-draft of Rousseau as a prospect? Rousseau was one of our top pass rushers uh, coming into the draft. And he, he kind of stayed in that area uh, throughout the whole whole process. Um, he fell a little bit because we have other guys that are just more athletic and more dynamic than he was, plus some of the medicals cleared for a few of them, too. Uh, but Russo started the season as, as the top pass rusher and like a top five guy, and then he just started to slip. When people started to say, oh, I don't know if he's going to test all that well, he looks a little stiff and da-da-da. And it's funny because before the draft, I kept comparing him to, in that regard to A.J. Epinesa, who's another guy who was considered a top-tier pass rusher, one of the best edges in his draft class. And then he tested at the combine, and everybody was like, oh, no, you can't touch him now. He tested poorly. Um, and I like to point to profiles like his and, and explain, like, look, what part of this doesn't gel with what you saw on tape? Because A.J. Epinesa wasn't fast. So when he didn't test with good speed, why did that surprise you? Because he ain't a fast guy. You know, Rousseau doesn't win with quickness on the outside. He's not a guy that's going to bend around the edge every play. That's not how he wins as a pass rusher to begin with. So do his agility drills really mean all that much in the grand scheme of things if that's not what he uses to win? Well, exactly. Um, I mean, one of the knocks on Rousseau coming out of college was his struggles to win with power. Kind of an unrefined anchor against the run. 
and just that uh, he, he didn't win consistently when rushing from the outside and trying to turn the corner, but he found a lot of success inside. I mean, that's where most of his sacks would come from is on the inside against slower guards where he didn't have to try to bend around a corner against an athletic offensive tackle. And what I found most interesting is that when you look at those RAS numbers and the athletic testing results, they all tell that story. I mean, he had a 3.2 RAS score for his vertical leap and just a 6.3 for his broad jump. Neither of those screams explosion in the lower body. None of those things tell me. Here's a guy who, when he's leaned on by a man who outweighs him by 40 pounds, is going to be able to stick and drive past his man or sometimes through his man. That that doesn't paint that picture for me. And then when you look at his agility drills, we just talked about how great Spencer Brown was. I'd say he, for a defensive end, is almost equally as poor. I mean, a 4.1 and a 3.5 score for his shuttle and cone, respectively, that doesn't make him sound like a lot of guy who has any bend or flexibility to his pass rushing approach. And, and that's what I love about this. I mean, can you speak a little bit more to that, just how these numbers correlate to what people see on tape? No, absolutely, because this Rousseau falls into a subcategory of position. Everything in Raz is based on the traditional position groups because that's how they're divvied out at the combine. Right, guys are defensive ends rather than hedges. Guys are linebackers instead of outside, Mike, whatever, linebackers. They're all divvied out by the traditional NFL position, so Raz follows that guideline. I'm starting to go away from now that, that now that the website is up. I'll be able to do additional types of scores. I built one out that's just big guys. So I have a, a BG position if you want to go look up <laughs> how, how well a nose tackle goes against other guys that are 320 plus. Um, I'm starting to build out stuff like that. And when I did that for AJ Epinesa last year, you saw that type of trend. Because if you look at defensive linemen who are above 260 pounds, but maybe below 310, so three, four defensive end types of guys, that trend becomes very apparent because you're not talking about a below average athlete, which Rousseau wasn't even for a defensive end. Um, He was very nearly an elite tier athlete, just short of that um, per Raz. But you start to see those type of guys in the NFL and how they succeed, and you look at guys like Rousseau and you're like, yeah, he can do that. Um, one of the players that I was comparing Rousseau to, and, and you'll, you'll see this when I explain the numbers, uh, vertical jump was 29 inches, Rousseau had 30. Broad jump was 9 foot 5 inches, Rousseau was 9'7". Uh, both of his agility drills were poor. That's also true from Rousseau. Um, this guy was 6'4", 274. Rousseau was 6'6", 266. A little bit different in size, but both very big defensive ends. Mm-hmm. Um, Rousseau is quite a bit faster than this other guy, but that's a Darius Smith who's another guy who didn't win on the outside. He won by being able to rush on the inside. He did it in his original team, and then he did it when he got to the Packers. Um, Very successful player rushing on the inside and finding those types of ways to win. So if you're using Rousseau that way, that's perfectly fine, and there's guys like that who win in the NFL. You can find ways that that type of athletic profile translates. Perfect, because that's what I'm looking at my note sheet here. When you look at Rousseau, for the Bills fan out there listening to this, he posted a 9.1 score for his 4.6840 yard dash. So he's not slow. It's not like he lacks foot speed. And his 9.9 RAS score for a 1.5710 yard split. What that says to me is that his first step is incredible. His acceleration for a man who's his size is fantastic compared to his peers and potentially lethal when you combine it with his massive frame, which goes a little bit hand in hand. Like you look at, okay, he struggled against offensive tackles. Well, he's not very flexible. Yet he got 15 and a half sacks and a lot of it, Brandon Bean, I think, said it in his book. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. In the post, uh, you know, after the draft in his press press conference, made a comment similar to, "You don't walk into fifteen and a half sacks. That doesn't happen on accident. They happen by design. It's just how. What is that design? Well, when you look at that and say, here's a big athlete with a long reach, with an explosive first step, who's not slow. He's just not stout enough to really go to war with offensive tackles every single down." It explains why he was able to be lethal when he was lined up attacking an offensive guard and why they had such a hard time stopping him from getting cleanup sacks when those guards just aren't the same level of athlete. And does that all check out? Absolutely. And that's that's how you win with a guy like that, right? It, in, no matter what position you're talking about, you're always trying to find mismatches. 
And if you're not going to be that that quicker, explosive, bendy edge rusher, then maybe you got to win on the inside, and that's something that he can do. For some guys that are much bigger than Rousseau is, maybe they become a defensive tackle. They gain 20 pounds, become a, a thicker interior defensive pass rusher. I don't think that that's the type of guy Rousseau is. I think he's still going to line up on the edge. But, you know, it, not every pass rusher is the same. You know, you're, you're uh, Vic Beasley when he had his 15-sack season or whatever it was. He's a very different player than Calais Campbell. Um, but both of those guys had at least one really great year of production. Vic Beasley kind of disappeared after a year. But I use him as a good example because he was so quick and so agile, and that was how he won. But then you look at a guy like Campbell, very different type of player. Um, don't pigeonhole guys. Yeah, there's there's types. Well, and I think that that's the thing is that if there was a coaching staff who could find – I mean, if there's a situation for him to land in, Buffalo seems to be it. I mean, we talked about that with Nate Geary where you can kind of figure – you have time. You have some road out there in front of you where you can figure out what he is. And figure out what you you know if you're talking about his game like a piece of wood, what you need to sand down, and where you want to maybe build him up a little bit, maybe where you want to focus. I mean, we saw with AJ Epinesa, he wasn't an explosive athlete, and then he dropped 20 pounds. I mean, this is one of the things about Carlos Basham that we talked about is that Basham, one of the knocks on him comes in. Sometimes you'd see him; he wouldn't be as impactful later in games. He's also playing at 283 pounds, six foot three. That strikes me as a defensive end who we just watched them do it with A.J. Epinesa, a guy who was 270-something, and you thought he was a Cam Hayward body type. They had him lose 25 pounds, and all of a sudden you see him dropping into space in coverage. And it blew some of our minds, but they're pretty flexible when it comes to that. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Roussel, but it's that RAS analysis mixed with the scouting report that I think really helps paint the complete picture of not just what you're seeing on tape, but what in his athletic testing makes the tape possible, if that makes sense? Absolutely. You always want to marry it to tape. You know, one of the things I always I, – for people I'm first meeting when I go on, on, on podcasts and stuff, it, it always comes up, you know, how much do I buy into my own score. And it, it's, it always has to be a part of the evaluation. It can't be just the evaluation. You know, I, I don't run an NFL franchise. I'm not a general manager. So I have the luxury of being able to say things like this type of profile won't work in general because of X, Y, and Z. General managers don't get to do that because if that guy then hits, they look like an idiot and there's reputation involved. You know, I, I don't have to worry about that stuff. But you always have to look at it as something that helps you confirm what you're seeing on tape um, or find some other way to look at it. Like you mentioned, a guy that could lose some weight. Um, we've seen that before where guys have lost a significant amount of weight or gained a significant amount of weight, and that's drastically affected how they play. Um, sometimes that stuff shows up in the testing where maybe they're, they're, they've got good tape, but they're not very close 20 pounds. Well, it's very likely that what they're trying to do is get some of that quickness and build some of that back up because they know that that's a weakness in their game, something they want to get better at, something they want to attack. All of these guys are competitive. They want to win. And finding out little wrinkles like that is how good teams survive, good teams strive. So something that was surprising to me was when you think about, and this is another RAS thing that I, I've been wanting to pick, I've been excited about picking your brain about this all day, just leading up to this recording. So when I look at our class as a whole and I take a look at the RAS scores of everybody who was taken, one of the things I find is that Marquez Stevenson, now, he's a player that we kind of knew heading into the draft was a fast guy, you know, quick guy. I mean, that was he was touted as potentially one of the, you know, quote unquote, fastest wide receivers in the draft. And while that might be true, he posted the lowest RAS score of any Bills draft pick in this class. And I, I guess I just have a hard time understanding that, that someone who could have, you know, Albeit he's a small wide receiver, so his size grades aren't going to aren't going to be great. But just how could he fall into that category if he's so explosively fast? Like, how does the RAS go to account for his other traits, including speed? How does that end up at a five point? I think he had a five point three nine score. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, he tested fine for the speed, but it was build up. So the speed speed covers about when you have all of the metrics, speed's about thirty percent of the score because you have your forty, your twenty, and your ten, right? All that comes into speed. Ten kind of counts for explosiveness too, so I guess twenty five percent. You want to want to be fair, 
Um, but all of his speed was just in his 40. His 10-yard his split was almost dead average for a wide receiver. So it's build-up speed. Yeah, there's, there's speed there, but it's not immediate quickness that you're going to see right out the gate, at least from a testing standpoint. So that impacts his score a little bit because generally, um, and I, you'll see this when I project the scores, a lot, almost all the time you're going to have a guy with a, a relatively close score for his 40, his 20, and his 10. Because fast guys are fast, so they tend to, they tend to be kind of in that range. Sometimes you'll see guys that have a much higher forty score than they do their ten, and that usually means this guy has to build up to his speed. For running backs, you'll hear uh, oh, he has to have a nice uh, a runway before he, he gets up to full speed. You'll hear that sometimes um, that they need to get up a runway. That's what they're referring to as having more of a build up speed than an immediate speed. Other times you'll have guys that have a really good ten but a four forty. And it's the opposite. It's those quick but not fast guys, one of those expletive or uh, superlatives that we hear. Mm-hmm. Expletives is cussing. That's a different type of word. No, um, we do a lot of that on this podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> People are very familiar with it. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it, the rest of his scores were, were just good. They weren't great. You know, none, of his, none of his scores were elite tier. None of his scores were an 80th percentile and above. So that, that little bit of buildup to his speed, which was his best trait, um, it didn't really impact his score as much as it might have if it was across the board good or if another one of his traits was in that elite tier. But all of his stuff's kind of just around average. And like you mentioned, his size is really low, uh, 5'10", 180. That's really small for a receiver. No, and I think one of the things that now that I go and I look at his RAS card, one of the things I'm surprised by is just the lack of agility and not an overwhelmingly fast 40 time. I mean, you'd like to think that for a guy who's as small as he is, that he would have more of that lateral quickness, that he would have more. And I mean, I guess maybe that's the difference between an Elijah Moore, because that's what I was. <laughs> we made the point during the last podcast. I picked up on this weird trend where there were so many and it actually bears out in the data. There's so many undersized wide receivers taken in this year's draft. So that explosion early in routes and that agility really becomes the line of demarcation between who's an early pick and who's not. And to me personally, just my own belief on how football should be played, I prefer bigger wide receivers. I like guys who you can throw to even when they are a little bit covered. They don't need necessarily to have – they don't need to have, hey, I blew my man away so I'm open, hit me with the ball. So in that way, I feel like this is the perfect place to draft a guy like Marquez Stevenson. Now, I didn't hear of all the complaining I heard from Bills fans this weekend. I didn't hear any complaints about Stevenson. And I think it's because guys with this kind of athleticism and that kind of collegiate production, this is probably where they deserve to be taken. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and in general, once once you get outside of those first couple of rounds, you know teams teams are generally really conservative early on. We we like to talk about how aggressive teams can get in their drafting, but as a general rule, all thirty two teams are really conservative in the first couple of rounds. They don't take a whole lot of risks. Uh, outside of the first three rounds, teams throw stuff all over the place. They're they're looking for guys that that have good tape, don't have good testing. Well, maybe the tape is all that we really care about. Um, we were joking about it on another podcast this week about about Antonio Brown and how scouting reports look different now compared to when they were coming out. Antonio Brown was never viewed as some great receiver that maybe didn't test well. He was looked at as a punt returner. That was his entire scouting report was he's a, he can punt return well. And that was the whole thing. He's a good punt returner. And then he turned into a great receiver, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you don't care about testing. We don't care about where they can pick. It doesn't matter because we found a guy that found success anyway, so we don't care about any of that stuff. Uh, but in general, that's not how it works. Uh, in general, the better receiver or better athletes at receiver, they get picked earlier. They get more opportunities because they got drafted higher and because they have a better athletic profile. Um, and because they get those opportunities, they get the statistical production. They get the catches, the yards, the touchdowns. Well, that, so, that makes guys like Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs seem kind of special in that regard then, right? They are. And I, I love those types of guys. because And people like to use those as an example. Like whenever I'm talking to folks about, about the trends and that stuff, they always bring up guys like Diggs and Brown and Bolden and some other ones. Um, but they always bring those up as if I don't know they exist. <laughs> like I don't have the data that says <laughs> you know, those, those guys tested poorly. Uh, but I, I love when those guys come up because they are special. It really shows how special they are 
that they didn't test well and still found that success. Because sometimes it's just they win in a totally different way than we're used to seeing in the NFL. And that that's exciting to see. It's really fun to see guys who win in different ways. Because we're used to seeing big, fast guys run, run past guys. It doesn't make those guys worse at receivers because we've seen it before. But if you do something different, that's that's fun. That's exciting. That's new. I love I love that. And as, as a guy that follows the draft closely, it helps you scout a lot better because you start looking for those traits in addition to the testing. And maybe there is something else behind the numbers. Maybe he didn't test that well in this area, but on tape, it was this other thing that he wins at. Doesn't show up there, but we know that we've seen some success in it because this other guy's done it before. Well, anybody out there who pounds the table for Josh Allen, which will go down is probably like, I suck at this draft stuff. Like when I didn't like the Greg Rousseau pick, people were tweeting at us going, well, Drew hates it. So this guy's a pro bowler. Like he's going to be a pro bowler because Drew doesn't like the pick. That's how bad I am at this. I hated the Josh Allen pick. And I think that the Josh Allen situation, I mean, I was listening to this I Am Athlete podcast and Stefan Diggs and Jarvis Landry were on it. And they were talking to them about what it feels like to be some of the best at their craft yet know that they weren't taken in the first round, know that they were they were slept on by some teams. And just to, with the draft coming up, how they felt about it and what message they would give younger players. And Diggs had the same thing I would expect to hear come out of Josh Allen's mouth. It, in, it's this mindset of, I mean, because you could have the guys who get drafted late and they say, these teams pass on me. They, they just don't know. They just don't know yet because I'm so good. I'm going to show them. And then they get to training camp and you never hear from them again. They disappear mm-hmm. into the ether of football. We they, call those uh, camp cockroaches. Yes. They, they, just, they disappear once the lights turn on. <laughs> and then you, that's a great – I'm stealing that. I'll, I'll give you attribution. How about that? Anytime I use it, I'll give you attribution. But that's great. Then you have guys like Stephon Diggs who admitted he goes he – was, he was hurt. He was upset. He was surprised that he didn't get drafted earlier. But what that did was it made him go and take a look at him. He's like, I had to have some hard conversations with myself and say, what did I do? What are the holes in my game? Because maybe I don't know more than them. Maybe they know some shit I don't. And I have to get to work trying to fix that to make sure that if I'm going to make good on this mentality of I'm going to show them wrong, I need to know how. I need to know how what I need to improve. I need to go to work and fix these things. That kind of mentality you can't get off tape. You can't get, you can't that's what makes the draft fun to me is to see these stories 3 years, 4 years, 5 years down the road and say there's a guy that five teams passed even the team that drafted him waited 5 rounds to do it. So he knew but but some guys don't have the emotional maturity. And some guys do. And the ones who do and have the matching drive go on to be great. And that's why when you talk about guys like Greg Rousseau, who is supposed to be a top pick and he fell, guys like Josh Allen, guys like uh, hopefully guys like Marquez Stevenson and some of these other players, you have the chops. Why did you fall? Go figure it out. I think that there's some special athletes in this class. And I, I it led me to some surprising takeaways. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that brings me, all of this RAS conversation and talking about the relative athletic score as it pertains to our draft and all these fantastic insights. (sighs) 
it brings me to some surprising insights into this draft class. Now, our listeners have heard me mention this previously, but when I was quarantined with COVID, I staved off my boredom by creating an easily adaptable and updatable database for the Buffalo Bills of RAS scores, both of every pick made by Brandon Bean, including their best and worst metrics, their composite score, and some of my own observations. And a depth chart of every player McDermott has afforded a considerable percentage of snaps to at a given position, making note of their RAS and size and speed grades to see if there were any trends that kind of present themselves over time. For, I sent you a copy of that chart. Have you had a chance to look it over? You sent me a chart. You think I ain't got to look at it? <laughs> okay. See, Chris, Chris hates it because I waterboard him with data analysis and he's just not wired like that. So he looks at it and his eyes glaze over. He's like, I don't know what the hell this is. I see colors. Your thoughts, considering it's a, it's basically an extrapolation of all your hard work. Yeah, it actually gave me a good idea for something I can add to the site to help uh, help folks look for these type of trends, be able to pull some of the composites out. Uh, because that's not that's that shows up on the cards, but it doesn't currently show up in a searchable format. I think we can I think we can use that on the site a little bit. So stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, take um, it, take it. Yeah, you, you start to see some of the stuff that he's looking for, and and if you were if you were really paying attention to the draft, you kind of could have picked on a couple of those things already. Guys like Rousseau, we talked about being a bigger guy playing in defensive end. We saw it last year with Vanessa, another bigger guy playing in defensive end, and then they drafted Boogie Basham, who's a pretty big dude. Spencer Brown being one of the tallest guys in the NFL. It's it's not a, a hard to find trend for some of the stuff. They want they want some size on their lines. Um, and then they also drafted Tommy Doyle, another guy that's six eight and three twenty, big dude. You know, it's it, that's some of the stuff that you start to see is there's there's some trends there. They start looking for specific types of guys. Um, the Bills have been a really hard one to pin down from an athletic standpoint. I think that's actually what specifically by word like verbatim what I wrote about <laughs> the Bills when I when I looked up their draft history over the last few years is that they've been really hard to pin down. Um, because the trends like that, they don't really show up when you're just looking at something like Raz. They've had guys that have been high. They've had guys that have been low early and late. And it's it's very different when you're trying to look at that. Some teams like the Packers, it's like everybody they pick is some high-tier athlete. Colts are the same way. Uh, the Bills haven't been like that. So breaking it down a little bit and looking at some of those deeper trends, that's really smart. That's a really good way to look at it because you can find other stuff inside that data that you can dig deeper into. And I'm always for looking deeper into data. Chris, I want you to isolate that and make it a drop. Kent saying that something I did seems smart. Because that's probably, you're probably one of the only smart people who will ever tell me that. I mean, <laughs> that's about the long short of it. Now, Bills fans, you all heard the audio last week. Okay, that was the, in the wake of our loss to Kansas City that ended our 2020 season, just one game shy of the Super Bowl, there was this seeming to be recognition by our head coach that our team wasn't fast enough or physical enough to win. So with that and the dynamics in mind that we discussed earlier with Nate, there are some interesting observations to take away from this on the whole that I think I think make this class wholly unique from a RAS perspective when I compare it to the rest of the data that I was able to use Kent's website and his analytics to accumulate. The first one is that this 2021 draft class reverses a really concerning trend. If I were to run down for you, Chris, the first chart, I want you to look at it and I want you to tell our listeners what you're seeing. The uh, draft year with the average RAS score yep. from 18 to 21. 7.14, 5.44, 4.63, and then this year, 8.15. And we've, uh, this season, we took four people with good speed grades. But not just good, with better than good. In the previous, that, that matches the total from all three previous drafts combined. Now, when you look at this chart and you say to yourselves, okay, so in 2018, we drew, uh, the average RAS score of our draft class was 7.14. Obviously, to your point, teams throw darts all over the place. In the late rounds, you start getting wonky with it. When was the last time you saw a GM draft a whole class that didn't score on average over five? Oh, gosh. Uh, you put me on the spot because they don't happen very often. Th that's my point. <laughs> that's how rare it is. And yet Brandon Bean did it last year. He drafted a very unathletic class. The A.J. Epineses of the world who didn't quite score as highly in that regard, who weren't great athletes. 
And you saw it year over year. You went from seven to five to four. The size, the players with size, those numbers were decreasing. Players with speed came came in at zero. No one was better than an average athlete when it came to speed last year from the class. And then something changed because they went the complete opposite direction. I mean, when you take a look over that, just to dissect it here, when you look at his tenure and the draft that he's run from a RAS perspective, there's this trend. Allen and Edmonds get drafted in 2018. Both of them were first-round draft picks and were the only players in that draft with a better-than-okay grade for size and speed. Everybody else was average. In 2019, they drafted two more players, Oliver and Knox, who had elite grades for speed. But there wasn't a single player with better than with three players who graded horribly in terms of size. I mean, Jaquan Johnson, Devin Singletary, and Voshan Joseph, they're... <laughs> And Chris, one of those guys doesn't even play in the NFL anymore. One of them, he's a backup at best. Yep. In 2020, they drafted just one player who managed to have either a size or speed grade better than good. I mean, that's 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 depressing. From year to year overall, the RAS score of each class has generally declined to a point where the 2020 draft class... Statistically unathletic, the most statistically unathletic that we've ever seen. And well, that's not to say they're not going to turn into useful players. I mean, the depth chart I created shows the Bills have had success in places with sub, not subpar athletes, but guys. I mean, Ken, when you look at the depth chart portion of that and you take a look at what we've been able to get away with, I we've got some things going for us. I mean, look at our safeties. Michael Hyde and Jordan Poyer have been very consistent. They've been kind of the backbone of this defense with how they're agile and how they're able to do things. But the problem is, is that they've had to overcome relatively mediocre athletics by playing a smart, instinctive brand of live action football. And that's hard to find. It's like we were talking about with the um, with the attitude. You can't always find the guy who says, hey, I'll tear my game down and rebuild it if that's what's required for me to be great. Some guys can't do it. And in that same way, some guys just aren't cerebral enough to say, okay, I'm not the best athlete, but I'm going to definitely be one of the smartest out here on the football field. And that's going to make up for my athletic shortcomings. There are places on this Bills roster where we've gotten away with average athletes. I mean, would you agree, though, that it's much harder for rookies to make an impact right away when they're behind athletically and trying to learn the pro game? Yeah, we don't get that a lot. I mean, in in general, the, the lower tier athletes don't do don't do as well even over time, and even even sustainability. The guys with the higher scores tend to sustain that success over longer periods of times. Um, there are a few exceptions where guys just last forever. Um, Anquan Bolden, uh, Antonio Brown, Frank Gore, guys that have just been around for a million years. Um, but there's always extenuating circumstances. The better players in the positions, the guys that, that get that really good rookie season and then maintain it over time, those tend to be the better athletes. Um, the, the Bills are doing a good job of making the right types of gambles with those type of athletes, I think. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the, the safeties. I love bringing this up because I've, I've only, only stumbled upon this in the last year or so. But safety is one of those unique positions where the, the numbers tell you that you want athleticism to win. Um, that's, that's what the, the trends tell you. They have a very strong trend for athletic testing um, in terms of player success. But there's also a subtype there that I always find really interesting because you'll have guys that don't have the best 40-yard dash time, but they have a really good split. And then they have either really good explosiveness or really good agility, one of those, one of those two. Um, and then they find success in the NFL. And what that really tells to me is these are the guys who are able to identify plays quickly and be moving, be moving faster than other people because they can get up to that top speed a lot faster. Uh, we always talk about how, how fast a guy plays. And it's not just guy runs from here to there fast. It's getting from point A to point B faster than the other guy. And if you can start faster than he is and get up to speed faster than he does, you're covering a greater deal of ground than he does in a shorter period of time. So unless you're running 50, 60 yards on that play, a slower guy can beat a faster guy in, in terms of safety because he's a lot further back. He's got a lot more room to work, and he's not traveling as far. Well, and especially in the – Micah Hyde. I mean, Chris, we've seen the communication just in, like, breaking down film and looking at games in retrospect. 
the communication and just the, like I said, the cerebral way that Poyer and Hyde play together really is what makes this defense dangerous. And it's what allows them to do the things that they do, even though they're not world-class athletes. I mean, one was a fourth round pick and one was a seventh round pick, but together they're smart enough. They're the right fit, like a, like two pieces of a puzzle together they play off of each other so well. They can accomplish what guys who are much better athletically than them can't. But then to your point, it's rare. And it's hard to find that. <laughs> it's hard that you luck into something like that the way we did when we signed them both in free agency. And I refuse to believe that it was part of any wall. The Bills knew that the... No, they didn't. They just threw two contracts at the wall and said, hey, hopefully these stick. But so with that in mind, this Luck class is part of it, man. Luck yeah. is a big part of it. This class might be the best collection of pure athletic talent Bean has put together. I mean, it, it is on paper anyway. The RAS score of eight point one five for the class is his highest ever. All of his first three picks are players who graded elite for speed metrics and agility metrics, and the fourth is a guy who's great. Right, the fourth, the the, the other offensive lineman, that Tommy Doyle. There's only one player with subpar size, and it's Stevenson, whose size is hopefully offset by the fact that he's got that upper echelon speed once he gets enough runway. I mean, that alone, if you're the if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, Kent, that alone should be reason to celebrate if you're a team that's not only trying to compete for a title in 2021, but that's trying to build a more long-term cost-effective contender into 22 and 23. Absolutely. And even the guys that you took, you know, you mentioned Tommy Doyle and of course, Spencer Brown. Yeah. Those guys are a little bit more raw than some of the guys that were in this draft class. A very strong offensive tackle class with a lot of guys that are going to start right out the gate and be pretty good right out of the gate. You might not expect that from Spencer Brown and not out of, out of uh, Tommy Doyle, but they're high upside guys. You're building for the long term. You know, the NFL isn't about short sprints. It's about being able to run continually over long periods of time and contend as a team over long periods of time. I mean, the Bills are in the same division of the Patriots. That's what they've been doing for over a decade is just sustaining. And they've had a bunch of crappy drafts the Patriots have. They've had a bunch of bad drafts. But they've drafted so well overall over time that they've been able to overcome that just by having a strong enough roster. I think the Bills are very close to being at that point. Um, I've really liked how they've started to build. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing. I mentioned that before. Um, I'm not a, I'm not smart enough to be able to say that I, ha- I know exactly what their plan is. Uh, but I think they've done a j- good job of taking the right types of gambles on the types of players that they take those gambles on. Um, even Devin Singletary, who scored really poorly for, for RAS, um, he wasn't drafted to be an all-star starting running back who's going to take every snap and every receiving threat and be a thousand-yard receiver and a rusher. That wasn't what he was drafted to be. So picking him up where they did, despite his athletic profile, for what they actually use him for, that's smart. That's value. That's that's picking your your, your pieces and, and spending the right amount of value on them and not overpaying for guys that you're going to spend and do basically the same thing, right? You don't want to you don't want to overpay for your players. And I don't think that they've been doing that. I think they've done a good job of valuing their players correctly. And then it's funny that you mention both of those offensive linemen and you talk about their projection to the NFL. Because the other takeaway I had when I looked at RAS and I combined it with our just draft analysis and I combined it with what I know about this football team and the chart that I was able to construct. Oh, boy. So when I built the depth charts, <laughs> I started looking at the offensive line and then I compared it to what we had. Now, if, if you're Chris, again, I have it all charted. Yeah, you have our uh, whole depth chart of offensive line. Everybody has a good size grade and uh, Bodiger, Feliciano and Williams have poor speed grades. Everybody else is good to great. Dawkins is the only great. Then there's a couple goods, and then one, two, three different players who all at different times, Feliciano, Williams, and Bodiger, who tested out as poor athletes. So the offensive line for the Buffalo Bills in 2020, from a pass protection standpoint, 
one of the best the Bills have seen in a long time. I mean, Josh Allen finished, I, I think, in the top three for time to throw for a quarterback last year. And the, the, the fact that our vertical passing game was finally able, especially, I mean, having a dynamic wide receiver like Stephon Diggs helps, <laughs> obviously. But they were finally able to orchestrate the type of vertical passing game that they envisioned when they drafted Josh Allen. Never mind his own strides as a quarterback. And you could argue a lot of that was a byproduct of the Bills fielding an offensive line where they weren't, well, they weren't giants. I mean, everybody was adequately sized. I think for the first time in a long time for the Buffalo Bills, everybody had good size to play on an NFL offensive line. They're going to make life tough. I mean, guard, center, tackle, based on the amount of churning and free agency. I mean, Chris, we talked about how they... What is it? They've only drafted two offensive linemen, but they signed 16 during Bean's tenure. He just kept bringing in guys on one-year deals looking for a hit or two. But one of the things we saw is that when they finally settled into a starting five that gave them the best pass protection, our run blocking fell off a cliff by almost an equal measure. And what stands out to me is that took place when we had three starters with poor speed metrics, like Bakker, Feliciano, Daryl Williams. That goes a long way. I mean, you think back to Eric Turner over at cover one, his chart about how how our running backs got no help, no blocking out in space, and that's where their rushing metrics were the worst. It goes a long way to explaining how our running backs struggled to get out on the edges of defenses on a regular basis and why there wasn't a whole lot of secondary blocking available to these running backs. So... On the whole, I mean, yeah, you saw Zach Moss make some flash plays. You saw Devin Singletary make some flash plays. But as on a whole, on a 16-game basis, it was really hard for them to get more than five yards from the line of scrimmage without guys in their face. If Zach Moss made some of his best plays well after contact. In an ideal scenario, that's not how you live your life. So when I see that, size didn't matter you know, when when you were trying to pass protect, right? I guess, yeah. But that poor foot speed came back and bit you in the ass all season. And then for all of that size that we were like, okay, this Bills defense, they can bury the offensive line, they can pass protect. It didn't make one bit of difference when uh, that physical defensive line and Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo came knocking. They kicked us in the teeth up front on our offensive line. And what you saw was that that size, without having any kind of special athletic traits behind it, really cost us. I mean, these guys ate our lunch up front. And that is what lost the game for the Bills. Because well, what, what happened then is that the same thing happened to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Yes, which, is, which honestly made me feel better. It's like, oh, how does, that, how does that feel? How does it feel to be on the other end of one of these? <laughs> Now, entering this draft, like I said, Bean had only previously drafted two offensive linemen, Cody Ford and Wyatt Teller. Now, Teller is interesting because he has a RAS score of 8.79. He's, he scored pretty highly, okay? But that was the high water mark for Brandon Bean. And neither of those players graded better than average in the speed department or illustrated any particularly outstanding athletic traits otherwise. Meanwhile, all of the free agents we've brought in over the last two seasons— their traits weren't much better. I think the free agents, when I looked up all their names and the guys who actually played for the, even the ones who played for the Bills, none of them were special. But I feel like that's why they were free agents, right? Like you let right. not special athletes hit the market. Well, after seeing the results in the rushing attack and the Bills' inability to hold up against hyper-physical defensive line play and let's go exotic blitz packages that require athletic offensive linemen who, hey, maybe you got fooled on where you thought the pressure was initially coming from, but you need to be able to kick slide back out in space and make up for that. Or Recovery inverse. speed. Exactly. You need to have recovery speed as an offensive lineman, and that failed us miserably in that AFC championship game. <sighs> Being made finding players who had upper echelon traits in both size and speed almost a priority heading into this draft because you saw it not just in Spencer Brown. Tommy Doyle has it. Even the seventh-round guard that we drafted, he has it. <laughs> he 
it's, I mean, it's crazy. No front office that he's ever been a part of in his career, either as a GM or an assistant GM, has made this kind of a priority of finding players that are both mammoth humans to play on the offensive line, but also have upper echelon speed and agility for the position. Now, based on all of this that I've laid out, as an outsider who's not a Bills fan, how much of this decision-making do you think you would say you can draw a line from fallout of the 2020 season to this drastic departure from Bean's typical draft behavior? You actually like to see when a, a general manager is, is uh, aware enough to really recognize that there's changes that need to be made, both in approach um, and in the types of players that they're, that they're selecting. You never like to see a guys that get, that get too stuck in their own philosophy. The Lions just fired a guy that got too stuck in his own philosophy, kept drafting the same slow, big players that couldn't do crap because they couldn't move at all. Um, and that's why they had one of the worst defenses in the league over the last few years. You, know, you don't want to not learn from those things. Um, one of the terms that I, I, I thought of when I looked at this Bills draft class was quick. Um, if you look at the Bills' individual draft picks, even the guys that didn't score out as elite, tef- at elite testers, with the exception of Marquez Stevenson, who I mentioned has that build-up speed, every other player in the entire Bills draft class had an elite 10-yard split for their position, every single one, whether their speed was or not, and most of, a lot of them were because they had a lot of good testing guys. But even if they weren't, DeMar Hamlin's an example. They still had really, really good 10-yard splits. You mentioned your seventh-round guard, Jack Anderson. That's another one who had an elite-tier 10-yard split. Uh, I think that Bean did pay attention to the fact that he lacked speed, but they also lacked some quickness. And when you're trying to fix your lines – that's a good a good place to start is getting some quicker guys because a lot of that work happens in a very short amount of space. And getting guys who can get off their formation and, and get to attacking guys or trying to protect other guys and do that quickly, that seemed to be a very big priority for them. And that's, that's what you want. You want them to look at a weakness and be like, hey, how do we make that a strength? Well, and, and that's the thing. I, I guess that's it. As fans, we should be encouraged that we finally have a GM who's illustrated that he can pivot wildly from previous draft approaches or previous maybe proclivities that he might have had in his scouting process to say, look, we did this thing and it worked to a certain degree. Let's go a different direction for a minute because there's something in here that I don't like. This one thing yielded such a result that I can't ignore it anymore. Let me, even if it's his own philosophy, let me kind of wager against it. I love the fact that, and I, this is what I love about you being a Lions fan, is that you have an appreciation for that now. Having watched your team, they have what's been, I've seen it on social media, read about it on in, you know, in blog form and in podcast form. Lions fans are pretty happy. I mean, the coach, all the, the knee-biting comments aside, kneecap-biting <laughs> comments aside. Yeah, you got to put that in the rest somehow, <laughs> kneecap-biting. Well, what's the circumference of his jaw? Um, the, the, almost like how they measure shark mouths. Like, well, this guy isn't a Detroit guy. Look at that bite radius. He just doesn't have it. But, but, but realistically, you guys have suffered for so long that having a draft like this last one, it's eye-opening. That, hey, this is how the upper crust lives. This is how other teams have gotten to enjoy it. And I think for Bills fans, we need to start seeing this draft. Even though there's so many looking at it in a negative light, they need to start seeing it this way. And I'm really happy that we were able to get together and do this with you tonight. Well, First of all, I want to say that on behalf of the Rockpile Report, because I love your research so much and because your research not only helped me get through... <laughs> It was a dark time. I mean, I was stuck in a back room of our house with no TV. I had a laptop. That's it. That's what I had at my disposal for 10 days. Well, I had to listen to my wife wrangle our nine-month-old son by herself with no assistance. It was hell. And your research and your data, and your that got me through that. So thank you for that. And also because it allowed me to create this thing that I can now take and run with and it's going to help my knowledge and understanding of football. Uh, we're going to make a $100 donation to the to the RAS Foundation, if you will, through uh, – I know you, you use Patreon or is it Venmo? I usually use Venmo or PayPal, yeah, one or the other. Okay, perfect. Well, we're going to make a donation on behalf of the Rockpile Report. Thank you for helping me and for helping – and anybody else. If you're out there using Kent's stuff for your own research – 
listen, pay it forward. <laughs> I mean, attribution helps, but you every, know, but you know, what pays I, the bills. Everything about this site has been has been entirely crowdfunded. The the fans from the last year paid my website forward for two years. Um, I was able to purchase some of the modules that I use to make things better on the site. Uh, I've been able to. I mean, I, I'm going to spend time on the site because I enjoy doing it, but. Having fans that are generous enough to provide, that gives me a little bit more motivation to find find better ways to do it. Instead of just, oh, they want to see the cards, I can look at stuff like what you provided and be like, God, you know, there's there's a market for seeing some of those composite scores. I wonder if I can find a way to put that on the site. That's the type of stuff that I'm able to do because fans have been so generous to me. Well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your website, where they can donate, and where they can follow your work on social media? Yeah, my, my website you mentioned before is relativeathleticscores.com. That's long, so I actually bought the uh, uh, URL ras.football, so ras.football, much easier to remember. Um, I'm going to switch over to that here in about a month. Uh, it, it works now, but it's not the default. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at MathBomb. I'm on there all the time. I talk about football pretty much nonstop, so you guys can find me anytime you want to go there and talk shop. We'll do it. Um, you can also check me out at Pro Football Network. I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I work with analytics there. I'm also our applications developer there. Uh, we have the mock draft simulator at profootballnetwork.com slash mock draft. I didn't build that. That isn't my original toy. Uh, I do maintain it, though. Uh, so it, go and run some, some mock drafts and then yell at me for where your team's picking. Kentley Platty, you can find him on Twitter at MathBomb. This is his busy time of year doing all of the podcasts and radio hits because... Let's face it, relative athletic score is on its way up for draft analysis on players coming out of college. Well, but like we explained with Greg Russo, it tells another piece of the story that you can't get from just watching. T- that the, the layperson wouldn't get, well, lay fans. Hey, Chris, I could show you five hours of tape. Would you understand any of it? No, because it's not me not understanding it. It's the fact that I'm having to watch five hours of tape with you. I would rather put my time elsewhere. Elsewhere? Yes. What's one thing you would rather do than watch football film with me? Oh, my anything. Gee, I'd rather go shopping for clothes or search online for, for new colognes to wear. <laughs> Any of that stuff. I love that those are your go-tos because that's literally two-thirds of your entire personality. Like, that's what you do. Your clothes, cologne, a stupid haircut, yeah, and or, then just an empty bag. <laughs> yeah. You're just an empty husk of a person. But I still love you. Rass is just one piece of the developmental puzzle. There's plenty of players with great athletic chops that don't make it in the NFL. And many examples of guys with poor athletic makeups that still found ways to be meaningful contributors. Like we talked about the Antonio Browns, the Stephon Diggs, these guys. But even for the Billsmans who didn't like this draft, whether it's because they prioritize defensive back more than trench play, which I'd argue is a mistake, or because they felt like taking project players that need refinement of their techniques was too risky of a prospect. (sighs) Even they have to admit that the approach seems to not just be a solid one, but also seems to underscore that Brandon Bean, as as they do in the, uh, a.k.a. Trader Bean, a.k.a. Big Baller Bean, a.k.a. the contractual gangster, might not only be the most talented GM we've had in years, but he possesses this elusive trait among all GMs, which is a flexibility of approach and a willingness to adapt that so many of the great NFL GMs have had over the years. And in that way, this draft class is a sign that for as much upside as this class itself represents, and as solid of a job this franchise has done positioning itself to be a contender in 2021, regardless of what our opponents have done around the division. Thanks to this kind of thinking, the future could be bright for much, much longer. I'm just excited to be a part of it. Folks, we're going to get out of here. Remember, next week, we have another packed week of shows. Chris, the NFL schedule gets released on the night we're recording. Oh, that's, that's nice. I think it's what, 8 o'clock release? NFL schedule release party, and we will be mocking the mock drafts. 
with Pat Moran of Talking Buffalo Podcast. He's the guy who tried to convince me that mock drafts are worthwhile. He's going to have to come in here while we, Chris, I have scored all of Bill's Mafia, Bill's Twitter, Bill's social media, Bill's content creators. I've taken your final mocks. Participation was involuntary, and I've scored them. And we're going to give out a winner and loser. There's going to be, we're going to talk about the grades. We're going to talk about how it went. Some people are not going to be thrilled with where they landed, and I will not care because I'm a, Chris, I'm a petty man. Yeah. I hate this exercise. So I feel like there should finally be some accountability, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have that. We're going to have an AFC East Roundup podcast next week talking about our stable of guests are going to come in here now that. Some of the dust has settled. Some guys have had some time, kind of like I do from Sunday to Tuesday, yep. to calm down, not be so hyperbolic, and let's talk about where we think each team landed. It's going to be a packed week of podcasting. Don't miss it. Yeah, and also go download After the Snap. Second episode is out. Reed and Blake are crushing the podcast game. Look at you, shameless plug. Hey. Shameless side project plug. Yeah, hey. Producing <laughs> producing two podcasts. Go listen to After the Snap. It was a great episode. Folks, this has been fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rockpile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.